Hi, everyone, and welcome to Empowering the Opposition. My name is Lexi Wilson. I'm a licensed master social worker. And my name is Dr. Nafis Alam, and our topic today will be choosing choice. So, Lexi, you and I were talking about the paradox of choice, and you found quite some some interesting things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think choice is a really interesting um, topic to think about. It's something that a lot of us just go throughout our daily lives, and we don't really give much um, lip service to. We just kind of you know, take it for granted. And I think choice is a really interesting um, topic for a couple reasons. And one of the main reasons I wanted to bring it up um, was because in psychology, there's a term called the paradox of choice, which means essentially that the more choices you have, the less satisfied you are with your end choice. And so that just kind of got us thinking more about what does it mean to have choice um, and just kind of thinking of examples of choices that we, you know, kind of go throughout in our daily life. Yeah. And uh, Steve Jobs was uh, quoted as saying, and I sent you this quote earlier this week. Mm -hmm. Some people say, give the customer what they want, but that's not my approach. Our job is to figure out what they're going to want before they do. I think Henry Ford once said, this is Steve Jobs quoting Henry Ford, right? (laughs) So I think Henry Ford once said, if I'd asked customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. People don't know what they want until you show it to them. That's why I never rely on market research. Our task is to read things that are not yet on the page. Mm. Yeah, so this really caught me off guard because we're so enamored with having choice and making sure that, you know, we are, it's, it's a right, it's a privilege and a right in many ways mm-hmm. where we reserve the right to go in one direction or another direction. Mm-hmm. But here is Steve Jobs saying that people think they know what they want because the only reason why people think they know what they want is based on information that is already outdated and obsolete. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Jobs was obviously thinking about things that the general public at the time had no idea was even possible, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. now we have Apple this and Apple that. Yeah, exactly. And the way I kind of like to think about it too, and, and you know, to give some other interesting examples about choice and kind of the, you know, what kind of goes on in our brains. Um, one example I like to think of is like, you know, when you go to a really nice restaurant and they have about six you know, menu items and, you know, it doesn't take you too long because there's not very many items on the list and you make your choice and research shows that you are actually far more satisfied with that decision than let's say if you go to like um, a restaurant that has like five pages of menu items, all slightly different and, you know, there's just so many and they all sound so good and you're like, what do I have? Um, so I think that's kind of a really interesting um, way to look at it too. Well, the paradox of choice is such that once you've made a choice, you're stuck wondering about all of the other choices that you didn't make. Mm-hmm. And thus, when you have a whole lot of different choices to make, 100 items in a menu as opposed to six, once you're eating that meal, you're saying to yourself, yeah, this tastes good, but could I have made, could I have yes. made a better decision? decision. Mm-hmm. Versus the six, you might have steak, lobster, salmon, you know, and just, you know, chicken. Mm-hmm. Was that four? Yeah. What are the, like pasta, maybe a yeah. good salad. There you go. Yeah. So if those were the six choices, 
I would obviously choose steak, mm-hmm. you know, eight days yeah. out of the week. And, uh, <laughs> and I'd be happy with it just because of the fact that that's all that's there. Mm-hmm. Now, within the steak category, if I have to choose between New York and ribeye and prime rib and, you know, mm-hmm. well, I don't really like filet mignon, but like, you know, let's say oh, that I did. Oh, it's so good. I'm not, I've never been a fan. <laughs> I just, I like the fatty cholesterol in meats, which, you know. <laughs> I have high cholesterol. This is a great oh, way to, yeah. I didn't so know I that. Got my, I got my vitals back. Not surprised, but Aww. I'm sure the people listening don't really care about my <laughs> cholesterol. high cholesterol. But um, <laughs> but it's just that the fact that like if you tell me that I'm going to get a steak mm-hmm. as opposed to chicken, salmon, you know, mm-hmm. pasta and salad, then I'm happy. But if you're going to ask me what kind of steak I want. What temperature I want it cooked? Mm-hmm. Do I want it Pittsburgh? Do I not want it Pittsburgh? Like mm-hmm. there's just so many different decisions that I'm making on the fly. And mm-hmm. maybe I have thought about this decision on the drive over, which is kind of how I think whenever, mm-hmm. you know, I go out to a restaurant or we go out to a restaurant, yeah. I'll always scout out the menu and I'll like, I'll even rehearse my order. <laughs> in <laughs> you your know? head, so, yeah. Well, not in my head. I'll, like, I'll do it in the mirror. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like... But, um, but you know, even when I get it, there's a part of me that will always think to myself, like, you know, what could I have gotten? It's that Steve Jobs yes, thing, too. Yeah. And that what does the waitress uh, or the waiter know? What does the restaurant know about their best dish? That I where, don't. Right, exactly. And I'm just coming here ordering, ordering the, the prime rib, let's say. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they might have the best swordfish in town. And yeah. I, even, I wasn't even considering that. Yeah. So it's just when you have that many choices you're going to be stuck thinking about all the choices that you could have made. Now, the paradox of choice is not eliminated when there are six choices. It's just reduced Mm -hmm. from 100 some odd to six. Mm -hmm. You're still going to think about what if I ordered salmon? What if I ordered chicken? Mm -hmm. Uh, But at least it's not going to be, you know, all around. Now, if you want to like narrow it down even more so, and this is what today's podcast really is about with Empowering the Opposition, is that is... The, the yearning for choice, something that we are taught to believe that we want, when mm. in reality we don't, right? And if we were given only two choices, left or right, steak or salmon, would that make it better? It, you know, from this particular standpoint, it would. But what if we had no choice? What if we went to a restaurant and the restaurant decided what we were going to eat? I'd almost want to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just because I'd be curious and I I think it's a different way of doing things. And, you know, however, choice is equated so much to freedom, yes. to justice. And, and so I think that's where we kind of ride this, you know, fine line of, of choice and, you know, still feeling free, but not feeling overwhelmed from all the choices. Mm. Um, and I think another example that I know a lot of bachelor lovers out there, I just had to throw this in here because I think it's a great example, <laughs> is like last season when Peter, um, you know, had all those girls, he started off with like 20 or something and he narrowed it down to like three and then he chose um, Hannah Ann. But then the paradox of choice set in because he's like, oh, I'm, I don't know, like I think I made the wrong choice. So then he broke off the engagement with, Hannah Ann. Okay. You should see my pieces. Yeah. Right now. He's like, what is happening? Who's Hannah Ann? <laughs> and then, and then, um, and then he goes for Madison and he, he breaks off with Hannah Ann, tries to work out with Madison. That didn't work out. That lasted like three days. And then now he's dating like his third or 
fourth choice now. But anyway, it's just such a good example of like how when you have so many choices, people question themselves and don't trust their judgment or aren't as satisfied with the end choice that they made. And so, yeah, I just think there's... There's a lot to this and um, to consider about it. So let's let's consider the opposition, right? Let's yeah. empower the opposition and let's make an argument that choice is a good thing. So I've uh, heard this said too, in that, you know, we'll take it from the relationship standpoint, mm-hmm. in that the existence of Tinder and apps like Tinder, which if you don't know, I don't know where <laughs> you've been living, but essentially where? just as a recap... <laughs> Um, you download Tinder, you upload some of your pictures, you like a picture that you see, you swipe right, you don't like a picture you see, you swipe left. Um, this is just from a friend, it's not like I have to do it right. <laughs> A friend of a friend. Right, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. It's my dog's friend's cousin's wife's dog's. Sister, yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I have Tinder and... <laughs> 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 so, you know, you like a picture, you swipe right. Yeah. And you don't like a picture, you swipe left. Now, I mean, we could talk about that particular angle later, but more importantly, what I wanted to talk about in regards to choice is that there's an argument to be made that Tinder culture actually enhances committed relationships. And this is the reason why. Because of the fact that Tinder is so prominent, everyone knows about it, it's mm-hmm. free, anyone can download it at any time. Yeah. Prior to Tinder culture being in existence, many people, not most, not all, obviously, there's no statistics on this, but many people would enter into a monogamous, committed relationship for the purpose of sexual access. Mm -hmm. Now, sexual access is only a swipe away, Mm -hmm. right? And since that is only a swipe away, when you choose to be in a committed relationship with someone, you're doing so not because necessarily of sexual access alone, but because you find something deeper in the person that you're with. Hmm. So this is sort of empowering the opposition and speaking on behalf of the opposition in that perhaps having a myriad of choices means that when you do make a choice and you commit mm-hmm. to a choice, you've considered all of the all choices. The, yeah, right? yeah, all the other you, options. You've through all <laughs> of your zip code. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and clearly, I'm done with 83702. Now moving on to 8, 3, 7, right. So you're done with all, all of that particular, all the choices that you can make, mm-hmm. and now you're committing to one, mm-hmm. knowing what you're what else intent- is out there, right? Knowing mm-hmm. what you're now choosing to miss out on. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 That's a really interesting perspective. I've never thought about it in that way, which obviously is the point of this podcast yeah. and so. I've brought this up to my students too yeah. in the past and uh most of my students will do this exercise like would you want your significant other to know about tinder like no I don't want them to know about tinder I don't want and then like that I, they have it or just that it exists well I don't think that having tinder in a relationship yeah, is that's true. probably not it right but just the fact that it exists knowing oh, that it exists you yeah. know because Tinder has also been used in in some relationships where you know people will be like, well, you know what? If you're going to be mean to me, I could just download this and oh have your replacement God. here in 30 minutes. That's toxic. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, it's definitely toxic. But that's exactly what makes Tinder culture so beneficial to some relationships. Mm. Is that any relationship can now become very easily toxic? Yeah. Because you don't have to go out to a bar. You don't have to get dressed up. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything. You just have to download the app, mm-hmm. swipe for five minutes, and, <laughs> you know, 
I mean, this is just reality, right? We can laugh about it all we want. Swipe for five minutes and another 30 minutes, you might have some stranger coming over to your house, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and that's, that's it. You know, you don't, might not even know their full name sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, like when you're in a relationship now, that part of, of uh, you know, the equation you know that can be taken care of anywhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So when you actually enter into a relationship now, you're doing so because of reasons deeper than just sexual access. Now, obviously, when I mentioned that, I was like, there's still apprehension. It's yeah. like, no, I'd much rather not. And then I start to, started to think about, now this is going to be really empowering the opposition yeah. and going way off the cliff Let's here. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. But maybe... This is gonna, we're not gonna make many fans after this episode, or at least I'm not. I'm not. But hopefully, you'll have a counterpoint to this. Mm-hmm. So, my interpretation of it, Tinder culture, is that knowing that Tinder exists forces you to be the best significant other you can be because you know you can be easily replaced. But you're also using Tinder and saying that I'm expecting the person that I'm with to also always be the best that they can be because they too can easily be replaced. So, it almost. It's like an employment type of thing where like you have a review every instead of every quarter or every year. It's every every day, essentially. And it forces you to be the best significant other you can be on a daily basis without missing a beat. Now, that is a lot of stress, but some people are up for that kind of stress. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I think as a counter to that point, I think if, you know, the only reason that you are still in a relationship... Um, is because of the threat of somebody else finding someone better or um, that is what keeps you in the relationship. It probably was not the healthiest relationship to begin with um, because it's, it's an equal, it's an equal partnership and you know, there should be constant communication and um, you know, it's about lifting one another up and be, you know, helping one another to be the best versions of themselves, not kind of sink into those insecurities of, Oh, I can find, um, something better one swipe away or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's certainly not a comforting feeling to feel like, well, you know, if my partner is only with me because I'm the best version of myself right now, what if I'm not having a great day? You yeah. know, you're clearly not the best version of yourself, yeah. you know, every single minute of every single mm-hmm. day. And what if those minutes just happen mm-hmm. to be the minutes that you're spending with your mm-hmm. significant other during that, uh, during that day? So it can be, be very stressful for sure. Um, but there is something to be said about that in regards to just like, you know, having, having them open, free choice. And once you do enter into a committed relationship, and most committed relationships are such that there is no real threat at all times of being replaced, you're essentially saying that I commit to you, you commit mm-hmm. to me, and, you know, whatever ups and downs mm-hmm. you and I individually experience will just be there for each other, which is counter tender culture, obviously, which yeah. is all about replacement. Mm-hmm. And it probably almost gives those committed relationships more of a meaning and a substance when you compare it so starkly to tender culture, right? They're very polar opposites in many ways. Yeah. And thinking about it too, like, you know, when someone's at their worst, you know, and they're, they're going through a lot, I think that's where, that's where those committed relationships really shine in you know the tinder swipes probably you know they'll they'll make your day a little better i guess but like 
you know, when someone's really, really having difficult times, I think that's where those partnerships really, really shine through in the fact that, um, yeah, it's not always about the best and no relationship's ever going to be about the best in someone. Um, it's also about the flaws and about accepting those and, um, yeah, yeah, taking those too. And within Tinder culture, if you're choosing to be in a relationship with someone, you're choosing to essentially, you know, not like be with the flaws as well as the, the, the pros and the cons of that particular person. And now, unlike the days of old, you're not exclusively getting into that relationship or choosing to be in that relationship for access to sexuality because that's already a given. Now you're entering into relationships for more meaningful reasons. Or so that is the claim, right? Mm -hmm. Now there's obviously for every point, there's a counterpoint. For every position, there are, there's a counterposition. And the counterposition to this is that the fact that the paradox of choice, which is, which mm -hmm. is what you started off with, is that because of Tinder culture, relationships are, are suffering. And we know this from a statistical standpoint because mm -hmm. fewer people are choosing to be in committed relationships. I'm not just talking about marriage. The marriage rates are declining <laughs> like crazy. No one's getting married these days. Um, but in addition to that, very few people, well, not very few, fewer people are mm -hmm. choosing to be in um, long-term relationships because they can just find someone else tomorrow. And the novelty mm -hmm. of finding someone new and even if the person that you find that's new isn't as good as the person that you had that you were with with yesterday, mm -hmm. it's still someone new, mm -hmm. and the novelty can be very attractive to some. So, mm -hmm. I would argue um, that Tinder culture has enhanced the quality of relationships by decreasing the quantity of relationships. Hmm. That is that is a, a good point too in the fact that those who probably don't necessarily would only be in relationships for that reason are no longer just in relationships because they're able to you know do do their thing um, without being in a relationship. So that is also a good point. Yeah, yeah. Let's take it the other direction now, from Tinder culture to arranged marriages, where there is literally no choice. Now, this might not be a surprising statistic to people now, but to me it was when I learned this, I think, mm -hmm. like 10 or 12 years yeah. ago. Uh, the potential for an arranged marriage to not end in divorce is better. Than it's like a lot better, much isn't better, it? Yeah. Much better. Like yeah. yeah. So when that element of choice is eliminated by the people that are most impacted by the choice... Mm -hmm tends to be a better decision, or at least a longer-lasting decision. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that, about arranged marriages, the paradox of choice, and just the idea that arranged marriages mm -hmm. last longer than mm -hmm. non-arranged marriages? Well, I think there's so many different ways you could, you could really go with this. Um, I think arranged marriages are really fascinating to me. My first instinct would be like, hell no. Like, no one's telling me what to do or who to marry, like, not happening. But then on, you know, on another hand, like I, I actually watched this show on Netflix. It's called The Indian Matchmaker. And it's more of a modern look on arranged marriages. Um, but it's so fascinating, like thinking about the choices and um, how, you know, families get to know each other before they get married. So you don't really have that whole like, you know, situation with the parents. Um, a lot of times it's the same cultural background. So 
I think there's a lot to be said about a, a lot of problems that could arise in marriage are already eliminated because of the choice that is made. Um, so I think that is pretty interesting. And then another part too that I would question is, are people not getting divorced because there's a societal expectation you do not get divorced? Mm-hmm. This is not a choice. Um, I, I question that. Like I, I would be very curious to see... Um, you know, the true opinions of people in those kind of situations, right? So you mean like as far as opposing this particular viewpoint, is it's not that, and correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, it's not that arranged marriages last longer because people in arranged marriages are happier. Rather, they last longer because of the investment made by more than just the two people, mm-hmm. in which case, if the two people were to get divorced or separated or something, then there would be more consequences than yeah. just for the two people alone. And mm-hmm. then they feel pressured to stay in those marriages longer as yeah. a result. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I was thinking. That could be one factor in there. Um, I know some cultures are like, you absolutely do not get divorced under any circumstances. So so that could also play a role. Um, I, I just think it's so interesting because the way love in particular and romance is viewed in different cultures is so different. Like, you know, in America, it's all about choice, freedom, you know, the bachelor, like <laughs> Tinder. <you Yeah>. know? <laughs> um, and so it's it's so different. And and I think, you know, just growing up, I've talked about this in some of the classes I was in last year, but about even from like as a young girl, you know, all you watch is these dumb princess movies and it gives you a really distorted perception on romance and love and your role as a woman and what a man's supposed to do and what love's gonna be like (laughs) big surprise yeah (laughs) not that way um (laughs) and so i think it's just really interesting um how perceptions of love and romance are in different areas of the world and and what what works what doesn't work like it's fascinating yeah i think one of my old professors said something like if you expect your romantic journey to be that of a movie then all you'll have to have romance with is that movie (laughs) (laughs) exactly and it's true i mean it's just like you know then again who would ever watch a movie that mimics real life so you know specifically and meticulously that like It just wouldn't be fun to watch. It would be almost too real to deal with. Uh-huh. But I mean, it, it is just that element of choice. And are we... Like, I would never say... I mean, I have the American flag tattooed on my arm. So, like, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who's more freedom in America <laughs> than I am. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I pride myself on, on always thinking about opposing viewpoints to mine. And there's a good argument to be made that eliminating choice and obviously eliminating freedom which i would never do i would never be on the Mm -hmm. side of but again what is this called empowering the opposition Mm -hmm. by eliminating freedom by eliminating (laughs) eliminating choice you are essentially eliminating the potential for feeling like you've made the wrong choice Choice. because there is no right choice it's just what it is so would you rather have uh like would you okay i'm just curious on this would you rather have like five choices of like you know cars or you know whatever or would you rather have a hundred and a hundred being great you have all the freedom (laughs) to be able to choose that or would you rather sacrifice that freedom and have those five cars knowing good and well research shows you will be more satisfied 
Well, it depends on if I if I've been able to test drive all hundred yes. cars. Which not, you no, got yes. to test drive all hundred. Yeah, cars. that's a that's a lot. But I, well, in that case, I would want the hundred. Really? Yeah, but that's okay. only because it's huh. an informed choice. Yeah. Most choices are uninformed. There's mm-hmm. no way you've gone to a restaurant and tried every plate or every dish. Yeah, yeah. Right? So when you go to that restaurant and you're ordering something, it's based on what you've, like the two or three dishes you've had there before. Before, yeah. But if you worked at the restaurant and you know that mm-hmm. the lobster ravioli is fire, yeah. then you know <laughs> exactly. that like you're going to not eat carbs for the month mm-hmm. so that you can have lobster <laughs> ravioli. ravioli. <laughs> You know, but if I don't know much about cars and I just want a particular, I want something that checks the boxes that I have, then a choice of five would be a lot less stressful Mm -hmm. because if I have a choice of a hundred, you know, maybe I take that back because I, you know, my Jeep Wrangler, I got the highest version, right? Mm -hmm. And the only reason why I feel like the car example is a little bit, a little bit different is because... Unlike with human beings, right? Like yeah. if you're choosing a partner, yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. just say, "Well, I just want to be with the tallest or the you know whatever." Yeah, it is a little different in that sense. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, for a car, sure. I would want the highest horsepower. I would ha- want the want the highest torque. I would want the brightest color, mm-hmm. the most obnoxious. So you would want a hundred choices with a car. Yeah, with a car. Okay. What about what about a potential partner? Oh no, no. Five, I mean, I, five choices or a hundred. I've had more than a hundred choices over, but uh, it just you know it. I would much. It's hard to say, right? Because like I, if I were to say that I would have wanted fewer choices, then that would suggest that you know some of the people that might be listening to this might be like. <laughs> You know, like am I the choice? Right, am I one of the choices that I would that you would have eliminated? Probably, <laughs> but um, but it's it's difficult to say because I feel like I've learned something mm-hmm. about myself and something about them yeah. from each choice that I've made. Um, but ultimately, I think I think it speaks for itself. I'm 36 and single, so maybe a choice of five would have been mm-hmm. better for me. Mm-hmm. And my parents would definitely say that, you know, they, they, you know, they were in an arranged marriage and, um, and they, they, and they're still in love, you said? Yeah, they're still in love. Yeah. It's kind of gross how they're still in love still, but, uh, you know, it's good for them. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think with the, with a potential mate, I would probably prefer to have a a finite number of five. Five, And even then that might be a lot. I know that is, I mean, I would, I would say the same. I think with, with cars, I, I don't know. I'm more about the less choice because I feel like I'm definitely the kind of person who would get sucked into the paradox of choice. And so the less choices I have, I think the more satisfied I would be with that choice. Yeah. But the more choices I have, the more I, you know, second guess. And but like is that with cars things. or with partners? Both, I would okay. think. Yeah. I think with both. I think with anything. Even like when I go to a Chinese restaurant and I'm trying to choose, like I definitely get sucked into that. So I think the less choices i have the more satisfied i am with whatever choice that's just knowing myself yeah so why do you think that most people would still prefer to have more choices than fewer choices if we already know that more choices make you less happy i think it fuels a sense of importance that you can have a lot of choice which is you know a kind of a privilege you have, you know, whether you earn it or your, you know, looks or um, whatever it is. So I think it kind of fuels a sense of importance. Um, and so I think maybe that's why some people get pulled into that a little bit. 
Um, or it's just more enticing, right? I don't want, most people, if you ask, okay, do you want one, you know, if you have to choose between these, I think most people maybe would say the larger number of cars or whatever it may be, because you want to look at all the different options Mm -hmm. and, and make the best decision you can. Um, and that makes sense. However, that's not really what research shows in the long run of being satisfied Mm. with your choice. Yeah, it is. It's interesting because I don't think whether in Idaho, New York, California, wherever you are, I don't think anyone would outwardly say, yes, I would like fewer choices, please. Yeah. Um, But studies show that you are happier when you have fewer choices. In fact, successful business people have Mm -hmm. already figured that out about society and that you're only going to choose amongst that which you already know, like Steve Mm -hmm. Jobs mentioned. You don't even know what's around the corner. Mm -hmm. Um, And what was it? Henry Ford would have said, like, you know, like, if Henry Ford had asked other people, they would have said, well, we just want a faster horse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not a car. What's a car? I don't even know what that is. So it's, um, it's interesting to think about in that kind of way. I also think like we just, by surrendering choice, it just feels like we're surrendering too much. Even Mm -hmm. if it's the potential to be unhappy, it does sort of feel good knowing that my choice is the reason for which I am unhappy mm. as opposed to a choice that has been made for Imposed me. Imposed upon you. Exactly. Yeah, I think there's a very big difference between those two because I think it, it has to be... Yeah, for example, if someone you know, had made... I guess though that is kind of how it is as far as when you go to a restaurant and there's a small amount of choices, I'm not like, oh my God, they're imposing these small menus on me. Damn them for the small choices. Like, no, um, I don't think of it in that way. But if the government was like, all right, um, you have a couple choices of occupations, one, two, three, you must choose, then I would be very, that would upset me, right? Because mm. that's taking away my autonomy and my ability to decide what I want to do with my life. So I guess it depends on, you know, how much it affects me. If yeah. it's something small, then I'm like, no, that's, that's fine, you know. Well, I guess it's the answer to every question is it depends, right? So, yeah. like, if it comes to professions and careers, if you had to just pick one mm-hmm. and then you couldn't do anything else, like, I don't even, like, of all the things that I've done, I can't even imagine what I would have stuck with. You know, so, and I've been all over the place and and you've had a myriad of different careers as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's that element too, but we just, we want to make sure that we're giving both sides justice in talking about this, right? So we've spent a good amount of time talking about why having too many choices makes us unhappy. We've also spent a good amount of time talking about how having lots of choices, the maximal number of Mm -hmm. choices, the maximum number of choices is also a good thing, an important thing, because if you're going to be unhappy, mm-hmm. you want to feel like you're unhappy because of the choices that you made. Not someone else made. Right. Mm-hmm. Or is that the case? Because mm-hmm. think about it this way, too, right? We're empowering all the I know, we're just right going to empower yeah. everyone today. <laughs> so if you are going to be unhappy, mm-hmm. wouldn't you feel better being able to blame someone else for your own happiness and say, well, I didn't have a choice for this anyway, so it's not my fault. Well, I think you see that happening all the time. I think 
when people are unhappy, I think one of the quickest things as humans we do is blame, oh, it's my thoughts or it's my this or that or my spouse or my kids or my, you know, whatever. Um, so I think we do see that and I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up because, and, and as much as we want to say that we don't have choice in some of those matters, we do. You know, at any point, someone who, um, let, let's say, just hates their job, right? At any point, you know, like needless to say, if, you know, they have kids or a wife, that's different. But if they hate their job and hate their boss and they're unhappy and they're not doing anything about it, they at any point in time do have the choice to move, to go somewhere else, to get a different job. But the, like we just as humans love blame. We love to place blame. Yeah, I mean, it's an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control. Yep. And the less we can blame ourselves, the better we feel. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are some who can actually turn the turn the lens inward mm-hmm. and understand that the majority of happiness um, comes from within yep. and not uh, not from the outside. Yeah. Uh, that was some Buddhist monk no, stuff right that there. Was, that I was, was dropping knowledge. That was deep. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where that came from. That was good. All right, I got to shake it off now. No, I like <laughs> that. <laughs> but I mean, it's... So, well, I guess where this where we're leaving this is just that, you know, like, would I choose choice? It depends on what, what I'm choosing on, mm-hmm. you know? For cars, I think I would prefer to have a myriad of choices... For significant others, I think I would want a limited number of choices. But then, like, I'm speaking as someone who has all these choices. What we haven't taken into account Mm. is that for some, it isn't a decision to have choices or to not have choices. Yeah. And we can't, you and I, cannot simulate what they must be feeling like because they are forced into living the life that they're living. And who's to say that they're actually mm-hmm. truly happy or if they're, they've somehow convinced themselves of such. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's we want to empower the opposition. We want to consider the opposing arguments all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, after all, this is what this podcast is about. Yeah. But I think we also have to be very upfront with our own limitations, having grown up, both of us, Lexi and I, in places where we've just had freedom to do whatever we wanted to do and say, Mm -hmm. say also freedom of speech, right? Say Mm -hmm. whatever we've wanted to say. There are plenty of nations out there. You know, we do have a little bit of a, oddly enough, international listeners. So thank you for that. Oh, Uh, yeah, I did see that. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you might be living in in a situation where you just don't have the freedom to say what you think or do what you want. And for you, this conversation is moot because you you couldn't choose choice. Mm. And I think the title of this podcast, you know, is is also indicative of the direction of this podcast and that we, Lexi and I, have the choice of choosing choice, mm-hmm. tongue twister. <laughs> but some of our listeners don't have the choice of choosing choice. They are stuck with whatever they have and whatever the re- direction they're going into. And for them they might see this as blasphemy and just like, why would you ever consider Mm. like having fewer choices? That's true. I mean, we are, we do live in a place where we, we, I think we take for granted the choice and, and a lot of the rights, you know, that we do have. And it is, you know, kind of interesting to consider that, that other perspective, because I'm sure a lot of people, you know, within those, um, countries and cultural contexts would you know 
give anything to have um, choice to be able, you know, choice of movement, choice of words, choice of occupation, mm-hmm. um, to be able to say and do as they wish. And so I think, you know, the point of this podcast is not like, I think anyone in those circumstances would, would want choice and to choose choice. I think it's when, especially in Western society, where we have nothing but choice, for the most part, right? And then, you know, the more educated you get, the more money you make, the more choices you get, you know, it just, you know, continues. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot of people out there we know who don't have, you know, those kind of choices. Yeah, so I think it's important to always just count your blessings and understand that we're in a a position of privilege, you know, we might not be the most privileged group, but we are certainly privileged in relation to mm-hmm. some others. And it's important to understand that uh, that's there are some who don't even have the benefits and the luxuries. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah, that mm-hmm. we have here. Yeah, I will never forget. I did this uh, um, service trip in my undergrad to Nicaragua. And we were in this small village in the middle of the forest. And there was this girl who... Um, she was one of the only girls to go to high school and it, she would have to walk like 10 miles to catch this bus that would go another couple hours to the high school. Like it was crazy. And this girl would just go so far out of her way, would have to wake up super early in the morning just to be able to go to school and do all these things. And I'm like, wow, like I had a school bus that took, you know, 20 minutes to go to school. Like it's, we really don't understand i think how how lucky a lot of us yeah well that might be a topic for a different podcast and like do we devalue things that are given to us with very little work even if the that which we're getting is actually very valuable like in education yeah like how many people in the united Mm -hmm. states you know don't really value a high school education Mm -hmm. but then like yourself you take a trip overseas and you realize that even an elementary school education is something that is you know hard to hard to come by Mm -hmm. and uh and you know those students clearly appreciate that more oh absolutely so we could Mm -hmm. we could have a podcast about like yeah Yeah. do you only appreciate things that you have to work for Mm -hmm. um can you appreciate something that you have not had to work for Mm. Uh, but that's a that's a topic for another, another day time. well that's all the time we have for today i'm dr nafis alam and i am lexi wilson a licensed master social worker and this has been empowering the opposition see you next time yeah!